Hello and welcome to TechPoint Zero, your popular technology show with Chris and Ben. You're listening to episode 5, released in August 2019. My name is Ben, and as ever, I'm joined by Chris. In this episode, we'll be talking with Dan about online extremism. Let's get to it. Hi, so today we've got Dan, and I saw Dan present a talk on fighting extremism online at SteelCon. And I uh, thought it'd be good to bring him in here and sort of continue that conversation. Hello. So, um, in in your talk, you kind of uh, took us through the history of extremism online. Do you want to sort of set the scene a bit and go go through some of that? Sure. So, um, before the web uh, was a thing, a lot of um, the communication over the internet and quite a lot of the foundations for what we have today was done over um, a a system called Usenet or indeed uh, uh, public uh, bulletin boards. So, um, it's quite important to remember whenever we talk about extremism today, because it's become you know increasingly relevant, that extremism online isn't exactly a new problem, and it's a uh, and indeed, extremists were some of the first groups of people to uh, like take fully take advantage of the internet, say, because um, obviously there's like a like a great deal of incentive for them to do that because like they they can't exactly go down the high street and uh, evangelize there. So in uh, in 1984, um, a man called Lewis Beam, who was a grand dragon of the Texas KKK, created a uh, bulletin board called the uh, Aryan Nations Liberty Net. Um, yeah, so. Um, essentially, this was, uh, from what I can tell, one of the first um, like public discussion forums uh, related around white supremacy on the internet. And this was back in 1984, so that's long before the web, long before anything else. And indeed, um, a lot of the content on it, like it's, uh, they're not terribly like imaginative folks. And uh, this did kind of set the scene for a lot of the content that they would put online. Um, so just like like very general like uh, like sharing of uh, old KKK documents, um, indeed uh, writing articles and things like that, that sort of thing. So how how big did these BB was there BBSs you said? Uh, yes. In terms of like the the actual user count, we don't really know. It's not very it's not very recorded, but they were covered extensively by the press uh, at the time, and um, indeed they're um, the the ADL um, who were a like uh, the anti defamation. Uh, league and uh, I don't know if you've heard of them but they do they're quite instrumental especially in like the, the early days of extremism particularly here in the UK with uh, combat 18 and other like uh, Enoch Powell neo-nazi groups um like categorizing them and saying like that like just making it clear that they were hate groups because like uh, we are familiar uh, today with um uh, like particularly like particularly white supremacist groups uh, disguising themselves as other political factions online this was also the case back then so uh, the ADL um, did a fantastic job of um, like indexing the uh, the different groups and there were five or six by the end of the 80s so one can presume like like judging by a normal BBS that's that's easily a couple of thousand users which uh, keep in mind that is before like the internet took off. I know a couple of thousand would be a tiny community today, but back then that's a that's, that's significant traffic. Obviously, like whether it's tourism or like or whether it's like an internet safari, we like we don't really know. But we, like we do know that they were popular and they did gain traction, and they were. It wasn't impossible to find them per se. It was. It was used. Yes. No. No. I, I, yeah, we do know that. There's a. There is a. There is a. There's a fantastic index online of all of the content, um, on the ADL website. I think, but uh, I don't have the specific link. So you sort of in the talk tracked through the sort of what next twenty years, uh, if not no thirty years. So I mean to to cut it short because obviously uh, as you well know it fits into like an hour long talk. But basically, um, after BBS systems and with the invention of the of the World Wide Web, 
um before we really had the kind of content driven like like user focused community website websites we had now um the the like the kkk for instance uh heavily utilized uh like like websites as a as a form of propaganda to talk about how uh, for instance an early one was how uh, black a black and white crime was being ignored uh, and essentially just like static websites like that just uh, like full of propaganda and full of misinformation regarding certain things uh, similar to today um of course and then from there we had um we had stormfront i'm not sure you're familiar with it but it was one of the first like major uh mainstream uh, white supremacy websites uh and then this had a couple of thousand members and that was just like a like an old bulletin board kind of a forum like like the type that i'm sure like you know, yourself as an admin and a, and a developer you've fragmented yourself and the difference being that it, it, uh, it hosted quite different content and then from there Obviously, um, after can after kind of like very loosely related community like user interface websites, we had like social media and the influx of uh, like user generated content and like uh, this is huge for the internet, right? Because it's no longer the webmaster is no longer the content creator, and this enables communities to grow well essentially as fast as they can be discovered. So this means a great deal to extremists as well and it kind of changed the focus from like just enabling websites to be a mouthpiece for their views or like or like their take on on like previous events or them to share propaganda or old or old like scripture or or whatever it uh, suddenly became a much more impressive tool for radicalization and recruitment because you've got uh, like an impossible to moderate scale of traffic um and, and certainly in a, in a, like an unprecedented growth on these websites starting with kind of like myspace and like leaning on to what we now know with youtube and facebook and on on all those sorts of platforms but um we've we're like we're now seeing kind of a mixture of public uh, and by public i mean like being like indexed and like and like you can search for it and find it all the way through to like private groups which uh, which you need to be invited to or indeed you need to like uh, like someone needs to tell you where to look for them how much do you think the drive for more eyeballs from these tech companies has contributed to the ease at which extremism has spread online? Well, I mean, when you incentivize interaction, right? You're not incent like it's hard to disincentivize like negative interaction because I think we'll, like we'll all agree, and no one at home will disagree either that there's certain types of content that we do not want to like be a platform for so for instance like if you host illegal content like your website will get taken down of course but like it's not like the police are going to suddenly take down facebook when they uh, like are slow to moderate a site which is clearly not meant for public consumption and i think that like without like this kind of external check like exactly um like what you're talking about it's it's they just want more eyeballs and because this because the scale of it's so great the scale of the problem can still be massive and it will not register on like the level with not on which these people are like their incentives lie right because the only thing that they want is for more people to be on the website if some of those may happen to join private like arms of extremist political groups it's not really a big deal well, to them, at least. So I, I followed this on Twitter and uh, got the summary of everything, or the interview, I suppose, uh, with Carlos Carlos Maza, uh, and he uh, was being attacked. This is this is Gay Wonk, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. He was yeah at Gay Wonk, uh, and he was being attacked by Stephen Crowder, and he called YouTube out on it quite publicly. 
uh, and not not much really happened. They they demonetized him, but as we know, that that doesn't actually stop the funding. No, it's uh, it's it's quite shocking to me that he wasn't demonetized already, because like as it, like if if you've been following that as 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 like as closely as I have, there's like a a although it is still like an understated kind of explicit racism it's still there and it's still very prominent and there's very like there's like stated homophobia in there yeah there's um and, and this is something which is quite important to note because like a lot of people whenever you talk about well um the term uh, alternate uh, alternative influencers has started to be used for this kind of network of essentially people who use kind of uh like branding techniques and advertising techniques to not sell a product but instead but instead sell like an ideology as part of their like this of like the service that they're doing. So this can obviously include anyone, but um for the for for the network for the network that we're talking about, for instance Stephen Crowder and the people who he'll have on the show and the people who he'll trade kind of like tweets with and and traction with, um, is that they maintain this kind of like stoic well what we're saying is just something that you don't like it's not actually hate speech and i mean like it's like there's no real getting around it despite like obviously a lot of these people are libertarian and they believe that like like no speech or all speech is free youtube does have strict policies on what is allowed on their platform and i think the battle is is that in this conversation about uh, because obviously people have different ideas on speech it's not even reached the stage where it's debatable yet. We've we're like we've not even reached the point where we are criminalizing the speech which already has been criminal or we're acting on the speech which has already been criminalized, right? Like it's not like I like I, I, as you said, like uh, YouTube have not responded very well to to this um I wanna say accusation, but to this realization rather of like homophobic and racist abuse on Stephen Crowder's channel. So like they, they, they hide themselves behind this like ideological war, right? Because it's um it's like when you feel like the, you're the underdog and your speech is under attack it gives like it gives you much more of a kind of like a like a battle cry rather than oh i got i got caught being a racist so to speak and it promotes the uh the the, the two sides kind of mentality of it where yeah the 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 other interest about i think from the reply all episode where he did the interview was the discussion of the changes to the youtube al- algorithm and that they they started prioritizing both all longer videos and less mainstream videos so that you would tend to start watching a video and if you left it on autoplay you'd move further and further away from from the mainstream uh was it the gangnam i think you talked about that gangnam style problem there's a lot of terms to describe it and given that it's kind of a new problem we've never had to deal with the we've, we've never really con- as a society confronted the inherent problems with like algorithmic suggestions but essentially um whenever you prioritize interaction which is as like as far as we can tell what they're doing it would make sense that engineers employed to make people use youtube more would suggest videos that would which may lead to people using youtube more that's not really up for debate so much but like whenever you have these kind of extremist like fringe views um like w- w- which are tangentially related to the kind of mainstream content which people consume because uh, i'm not sure if you're aware but a uh, a study in 2018 saw that youtube was the most popular site for young adults to receive their news from the 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 so the, the most popular website for news is is youtube which is quite um shocking and when I, like and whenever a lot of people enter this conversation it's like well how hard should we place an like an entertainment site right because it is like surely no sh- surely no one's getting actual news off this i i should actually say i i get a reasonable amount of news analysis from, yeah no 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 <laughs> from and, YouTube. And, and 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 of course but that's the like an analysis i can understand right and like think pieces i can understand but actual like news content like finding out that things have happened like especially i don't know if i was a 
like, <laughs> if I wanted, if I knew I was going to be confronted about my beliefs, which I often am, I would definitely at least check another website. But um, certainly, like, uh, not everyone has the time to do that, of course, and not everyone has the interest to do that. Obviously, not many people see themselves as non-political. But what I was saying about algorithmic content, so, so sorry if I can just finish this point before I lose it. Um, whenever you prioritize um, videos which... Uh, like of those who watch them have extreme engagement you do tend to prioritize videos which have a smaller group of people who will fanatically watch videos like that and that does lend itself to more extreme content it's not just that i think i think he's also moving people towards that content oh no like, yeah i know 100 once you've watched a video one or two times you're not going to watch it again uh whereas if you can move uh you know Maybe you move people in different directions, but you move people, yeah, laterally out, out away from that that core content. There is more different content for each individual person to watch, and uh, and and that's the thing. And especially when you've got these creators working so closely together, and then like it's uh, viewers of one may well be viewers of another, and that is an intentional that is an intentional part of it. Like uh, like brand influencers since the start of social media have been collaborating in order to like share their fan base, right? Because let's say if me and you are selling a product in the same market segment, you might have fans and listeners and buyers who I might not have yet. And the same goes for me. So like if we're both the same level, it's mutually beneficial for us to promote each other. And yeah, and, I, and you find these uh, alternative influencers doing the exact same thing, but not all of them are so strict on um, saying the quiet bit quiet, shall we, shall we say? So it, like a hundred percent, it does. I think lead yeah. to and it, it all, those connections also lead to that. It's often referred to as the, the pipeline or the funnel or the PewDiePie pipeline of I've seen it called, where you'll have someone who's not really that extreme, and they'll do a collaboration with someone a bit more extreme and 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 no one person is doing anything with anyone that far from their own views like everybody's working with people who they broadly agree with but the the whole like the, the <laughs> taken as a system it can push some people to a very extreme place yeah and uh, and uh, i don't know how uh how much, how much I remember from the talk but i did uh, i did mention the uh the push and pull factors of radicalization so for 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 those who aren't aware there's uh, uh people people who research this stuff and uh, by this stuff i mean radicalization which is the process of someone becoming like acclimatized or becoming tolerant and like accepting of like like violent extreme views over time um there tend, there, like there tends to be two groups of factors which can lead a person to like down this path one being push factors which push people away from the norms of behavior so that's like um th like things like 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 discrimination and like a uh, like forced isolation and like um indeed like essentially anyone who feels like pushed away from normal society tends to gravitate more towards like extremist content because that's where they find solace right and then you've also got and like in like indeed the poll factors because obviously like politics isn't simple and for and for these people to provide such a convenient and easy answer which like makes you feel like it's not actually your fault or you're not doing anything wrong or there's nothing the like the, like there's nothing to learn it, like it can be quite appealing and like it, it's 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 no wonder that this is such an effective tool for like violent extremists also i think the uh the the youtube example particularly is interesting because it it kind of shows one of the situations where we've, we we kind of i think we have to make trade-offs having a long tail having lots of you know having you know lots of availability for people to be youtubers and to promote their content in isolation sounds like a great sort of situation to be in it sounds really good for people 
if you can trust the content people are making and that doesn't mean everyone has to be the same but yeah as long as it's it's not at the <laughs> extreme violent uh ends but where, how do you how do you sort of how do you think we should manage that trade-off to, to, to be honest you, you use the phrase like trust the content i i don't even like uh wouldn't and this might be unpopular and like i'm i'm not sure how many people would agree with me in in principle and i'm sure like the, there's probably valid reasons for not doing so but i don't even think that federating the content to the point where you can trust it would be a good idea because that would imply some kind of like process on youtube for them to like verify each like each bit of content which is uploaded to their site and i like and, and, and i think that like and uh, free speech advocates make this like argument all the time that youtube YouTube's, youtube's benefit is in its kind of spontaneity and like social media works because of the community and if you like federate that and you put barriers in the way of people producing that content the content simply won't get made or it'll go elsewhere so either it does us no good or we lose like such like a like a valuable service and while i do think there needs to be trade-offs in terms of like yeah we should stop a community growing if it's outright like like if it's if it's literally spreading like hate speech so you sort of you'd wait until it, it crosses a certain i mean it, it it sounds that's a very um that's a very cynical way to put it but yes like a like essentially we, we do need to um wait and see if it does develop to that point but i think i would not draw the point like the point where most people would i think the more interesting that i'm i'm got there is who draws that point like... that's exactly the problem as well right because right now but i mean r- right now nobody draws the point right now it happens well, youtube kind of do but... well i know no, i mean when youtube will decide but as we've seen they'll only decide when there is a big a big enough pushback out there they're like in, in like unless it is explicitly indefensibly hate speech youtube will not get rid of it and i think the only reason for that is because that they would like see a tangible loss to their platform if they were seen openly enabling explicit hate speech so like i i think we need a more granular line to be drawn and i mean like i i, I guess i don't know who draws that but there needs to be someone independent of the incentives which are there for extremists to continue their work on these platforms because regardless of which way you look at it there's no denying that there are incentives for youtube to not to like for an action essentially right because like not only are there barriers to properly moderating content on a like mass social media platform like youtube because like you've got to like employ people to do it and you've got to set up the processes and you've got to make sure it's accountable and once you do start to federate content like that there's a risk of you becoming a publisher who's much more liable and like a like a um if it, if we refer back to the talk again the story of two uh dial-up providers in the uh, in the 90s uh CompuServe and prodigy so um CompuServe refused to regulate any content on its um on its service whatsoever while Prodigy actually hired a team of moderators to do exactly this to make sure that like a uh, like no like inappropriate or so I I'm I'm pretty sure the motivation behind this was pornography because that was the because that was essentially the uh, internet version of the Red Scare at the time, but um the issue was that both did face legal challenges for content that was hosted on their service, and while CompuServe was not deemed responsible prodigy actually was successfully litigated against because of this moderation and yeah, like they, i think so this is uh i think it's u.s law but they lose common carrier status don't yeah they? yeah there's a there's a there's a big distinction between like a carrier and a publisher and uh and like in, indeed it's, it's it's about the expectation of whether you can reasonably expect someone to believe that that content was like mod like so, so a newspaper would definitely be a publisher while a while a mail while a mail carrier would not so to speak
I wonder if moderation of that content should should be independent to the companies, like and and the the producers of of the content. Like I don't I don't think the companies can be unbiased about it. Yeah, I could imagine some sort of uh, you can't really get people to do it voluntarily. It's a difficult one. I suppose you can set policy voluntarily, but um, yeah. yeah, I think I think the thing is making the disincentives for enabling extremist content way more than the incentives of keeping it on so like i like regardless of how you do that i'm sure there's a thousand ways um so like like for instance we're we're recording this just off the back of the ftc fine for facebook for five billion for uh, for privacy violations so like we do hold companies to account on how they treat their platforms like we do there's no ifs there's no buts this isn't government overreach but it's about treating extremism online it's about treating the threat of this kind of like unfederated content, like treating that of like as much of a threat as privacy violations are, which I'd argue, which 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 I would definitely argue it is. It's it is a hard argument because then we have to like we to like we need we need to talk about content based bans and we need to talk about certain things that you're allowed to make videos about and then there obviously there's the problem of satire and ironic fascism and all this sort of stuff. So it's it's it's, it's not an easy conversation. Well, anyway, so. No, no, it, there's always a very difficult line to draw, and and I think that line needs to be drawn very carefully. The other, I suppose, the other issue I'd like to talk about. It might get a bit sensitive, but there's there's a definite difference in how the media and governments think about uh, right wing extremism, particularly alt right extremism, and Islamic extremism. And yeah, like one one I feel gets taken a lot more seriously. It also tends to be covered under terrorism laws, which which may apply, may not apply as appropriate. It is so. It, uh, it it is an interesting problem because there is a legal distinction, at least in the U.S. anyway, between uh, homegrown violent extremism and um, ter- like like international terrorism organizations, which like which are like a, which is a federated difference. And indeed, um, it's there was a case earlier. I think there was a viral video about uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, um, the like qu- questioning an FBI commissioner regarding the. Um, like designation of like terrorism versus like mass murder and as essentially she was asking why um, and while the Pulse um, nightclub shooter was there, like a, if I remember correctly this uh, I'd, uh, I haven't read it in a since since I was researching for the talk but essentially the difference was that whenever someone acts on behalf of a terrorist organization which has clear like clear objectives and statements that's much easier to like go under the law of political terrorism than like just a seemingly random internet inspired mass murder which is what the old right for one of a better term that's what they want they don't they don't want to be liable they don't want to be responsible so and, and actually interestingly enough i do feel like it's relevant uh, to to go back to uh, uh our, our friend lewis beam in the 1980s if uh for those of us with poor memory like myself he was the um uh, grand dragon who set up uh liberty net he was also a massive proponent of uh, this tactic called leaderless resistance and what this was uh, this kind of um strategy came from kind of like secret service 
organization and how like uh, how spies would operate essentially you've got a political wing of an organization that's talked about the kkk in this instance who claims to separate themselves entirely from the violent extremism of that same kind of objective in this case white supremacism so you'd have the kkk here arguing for the supremacy of white people in a purely political standpoint so they run for office they flyer they have like a they have like like organizations and businesses who who work legally or at least did at the time and then there's another layer which is uh, closely linked with this organization in terms of ideology but uh, refuses to affiliate itself with them uh, like like whenever whenever it comes to taking responsibility for violent actions and things like that so you do have like a like um on almost on, on almost a hydra of difficulty there because and then like naturally the intimidation and the like and, and then the reasons behind the political violence still work but they can't actually be drawn back to the people who are who are driving the rhetoric behind it and who are fueling the uh, the anger. And indeed, uh, Lewis Beam himself did advocate for people to operate individually or in small groups, which is what we've seen happen with uh, white supremacist terror in the US uh, more recently, or in the US and Europe, should I say. And it's possible now for very small groups of people to have a significant influence through the fact that they can actually get an audience, like you know, a, a significant audience. 100% and we've seen just how easy and uh, how like spontaneous that can be with shootings like uh, Christchurch and Poway and uh, the Tree of Life and so on. Ben, you've been uh, unusually quiet. This is all um, something that I am sort of peripherally aware of, if, if you like. I haven't done reading into it. it you hear bits of it uh, on social media. You hear, hear bits of it in the news. And so I suppose, partly for my benefit and partly for anyone else, uh, a good question might uh, might be um, very broadly, what is extremism and what are the kinds of extremism that uh, we can sort of relate to and, and hear about? So, um, and it is a good question and, and, and I guess it is like important to uh, establish the foundations of this. And whenever I talk about extremism, um, it te I tend to mistakenly, obviously, use the terms violent extremism and extremism kind of like uh, interchangeably because the extremism that we talk about whenever we like refer to like violent political ideology tends to be uh, tends to be classed as violent extremism. And violent extremism is simply the set of beliefs which enables someone to justify or advocate for politically or otherwise uh, ideologically motivated violence, again, to further like some kind of religious or like political aim. So um, groups that we've seen who are who, who would qualify as as like a, like violent extremists are obviously kind of Al Qaeda, um, the IRA, uh, ISIS, and indeed, white supremacy um in 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 the modern day and i suppose then that th those are really good examples of of violent extremists and then extremists without the violence isn't necessarily any any more innocent so it's 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 a tricky one because like uh, no, like i'm assuming what you're referring to as non-violent extremism is simply the, the like the advocacy of these like fringe political beliefs but just but just without the will to impose them using violence and like a, that's a tricky one because even the statement of uh, like again if we take white supremacy for example even the statement of saying i want a separate state for white people like i like like for like like if we take the kkk the ultimate goal is again america for americans right and while that might not be physical violence it still like clearly falls under the purview of violent extremism because like while while they're not advocating for it using guns and hammers and hatchets 
the end goal of that political kind of ideology and indeed what the group is striving for like as as far as we can tell it's violent because there's no way that you can have like in in this case talking about the kkk again there's no there's no you cannot have a white america without violence right like it it does subjugate you you require violence to be able to enact their political goals and this is the same for um for like for the ira and for isis as it stands right because you can't unite ireland without like getting rid of the current government or or, or lack of like, considering we haven't had considering we haven't had one for two years but um certainly like it's when it like violent extremism is like a political outlook and the way and the and the phrase extremism itself just like isn't something which is politically orientated like i can be a homeless extremist and that just means that i'm like i have very extreme or radical or like or particularly out their views about a certain I'm a, subject. So I'm a, I'm a ketchup extremist. Yeah, I know 100%. And we all have things that uh, like obviously in the in the modern vernacular we wouldn't use the term extremism to describe them, but whenever we go back to what extremism actually means, it's just a fringe or is like socially unaccepted or like just general radical view about something. So um, I'm specifically talking about violent extremism because there are types even of political extremism which aren't particularly violent. For instance, like um, you like you have like absolute pacifism, right? Like like that's an extreme view to to hold yourself to never cause harm to another person, like and have that as part of your political ideology. That that is still extremism. It's just uh, n- naturally law enforcement isn't concerned about it because you're not going to have a a, a pacifist bombing. So I suppose we, ultimately. We we're talking about dangerous extremism, aren't we? This gets people worried because then, of course, it, like uh, that just highlights the problem. Who defines what dangerous is, right? Because, like, like if I if I sell coal, solar is going to be dangerous to me, right? So then it's like, oh, well, then, well, then, what kind of extremism is bad again? So it, like, it does. No, it's I do like the phrasing because it does highlight the problem we have with actually taking action on this because it's such a it's such a minefield in terms of like social li- or civil liberties. You do have to have someone to draw that line. I don't think we've got any organizations or groupings at the moment that make sense. Maybe the judicial system is like the closest. Yeah, well, I mean, like currently we do, like we do have. Well, I mean, like to the extent we we we're not terribly good at, at sort of quashing this kind of speech online. But whenever it comes to like deciding what constitutes violent extremism, we do have like mechanisms in place to designate extremist groups, and that is currently how we like how we like differentiate people who are like violently extreme and those who aren't. So. Like for for better or for worse. I was going to say, it, I suppose um, it it is then a case of in the way that our laws uh, reflect or are supposed to reflect the the current norms of society, the current accepted norms of society. I suppose you could have direct and indirect dangerous extremism because you could have something that isn't inherently violent, but it pushes or pulls uh, the norms towards it. Uh, leading leading towards something that is violent or dangerous in in the end and and also worryingly at the same time therefore if it, if it's done over a period of time distorts or pulls the social norms so that actually the the judicial system you know that 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 just becomes the norm yeah and 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 this is like and, and I mean you've summed it up better than I could like a, this kind of gradual pull towards like the 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 like the worst 
acts possible essentially is what we've seen previously when it comes to like like particularly violent political ideologies so um like a like whenever scholars uh look at uh like nazism in the in in the 1930s and 40s they don't start with hitler's first political victory right they look beyond that and they go okay how was this normalized and how like um and how did we get to here to enable this guy to like gain political support because like it's it's an uncomfortable truth but he 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 won votes from normal people he won votes from like people like you and i who lived in a current he lived in a system which made that kind of like xenophobia acceptable um and like i'd obviously like situations like this whenever you discuss the like the like the social reasons which lead to pay, like people like the nazis gaining power you need to do it very very carefully and I'm, I'm certainly not qualified to discuss it but you're exactly right that that is the danger and that that is what um the and that is what the industry of uh, of uh, combating or countering violent extremism tries to work to prevent. It's that kind of like catching the uh, the precursors, like the othering of, uh, of of certain of certain groups and the normalization of, of violence as part of a political process and things like this. You're talking uh, the for the political geeks out there. It's the uh, Overton window. Yes, the Overton window is like the the bounds of acceptable discussion, and if you can move it, you can move like the average sort of political viewpoint of an entire culture do, do you think that there is anything that we can do the individuals can do on these platforms a lot of these platforms will have report buttons and i'm sure that we've all used them and had a had a message back from from whatever platform it is saying we reviewed your comment and and find no fault yeah it, it, it this does not this does not conflict with our community standards i'm guessing that if enough people did or uh, then again I, I suppose that that's maybe not not very good either so there's i mean the now there are problems with seeking to use existing methods of kind of like 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 currently accepted methods of 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 reporting political extremism because they're like like none of them are perfect and a lot of them do have their flaws and i think what we can do in terms of individuals in terms to be the most impactful is to kind of like we've all got our own little bubble where this kind of stuff starts and as much as we'd like to think that like violent killers and people who genuinely believe that like uh, the the violent oppression of others is acceptable like this all starts at home like so i think just being careful about the rhetoric that we ourselves say and like being like mindful of the language we use and the like political ideas that we have and seeking to share that with the people closest to us i do think that that's kind of how an individual can make a difference because although there like like there are things to say like for instance the facebook like um it's very common for uh, both sides now uh, the pride boys are uh, who are a, uh, a violent white supremacist group in the us and now use mass reporting as a way to get things taken down so it um it started out uh, as a uh, anti-fascist tactic, uh, tactic actually, and actually to like garner popular support through like mediums of like uh, media pages and like email threads to say hi, everyone click report on this because if enough people do, it will it will get hidden and then someone will have to look at it. Um, but it works both ways, right? Because anyone with a big audience can point a large number of clicks at something and say, yeah, report this until it's down. So um, I certainly couldn't advocate for that. I'd like to add something. Uh, yeah, I think you kind of touched on it already but being mindful of the content you're watching being aware that they have a bias that may may not be in your best interest uh what was that there's a there's a terry pratchett quote i think it is of uh the problem with having an open mind is people uh want to come along and put things in it and i thought that was a great way of describing it 
it's certainly apt. But then, I mean, it's just as much that as it is like just just taking ownership of the fact that we do have these biases and 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 like and taking ownership of the fact that whenever these like political groups do seek to like radicalize people and do seek to like recruit people into their in like in, in into their circle they are coming with valid concerns like uh, like they do like for instance in the uk it's quite common for the far right in in this country to prey on uh, like financial uncertainty and indeed um like exactly like attempt to exacerbate problems which exist in, in in our current system the most common being that um they'll they'll pick a public service whether it's like i don't know like local transport or the nhs or welfare or social housing and then they'll point at a particular group and say that that group are responsible for the strain being caused and now suddenly it's not actually as like a like a xenophobic feeling that's causing it but it's indeed like financial uncertainty has like like and if if they're not informed or indeed if they don't have time to like fact check that it's not exactly like impossible to believe so i like and again it like it comes down to their own circle so like whenever people around me uh like talk in that sort of way which like i'm fortunate enough to have learned with that it's like a lot of like a lot of this concern has been planted by people who are acting in bad faith who like who do have views which are not in the interest of you and i i uh, try and take the time to say well actually that's not true here's a very easy source for that or well like uh like do you not see that this is the wrong person to blame or like to i don't know i don't know just things like that like I, i'm i'm a big advocate of of personal activism when it comes but but obviously I I, think I've effect, got... effective personal activism you, you've got to communicate well and clearly to people and persuasively yeah yeah no it's uh, i mean I, I do but that being said you owe nothing to to randomers online who seek to again move that window of acceptable discussion and mask mask their own kind of bigotry in this like like pseudo concern which uh happens quite a lot because they've realized they get banned if they say the quiet bit out loud something else i'd like to add to that is i i feel that certainly my my generation were uh, raised to sort of feel that they could do whatever they wanted that the world was open to them and and they could have pretty much any career they wanted and i can kind of understand how someone who you know gets into you know go, goes through school finds that they they didn't quite get the grades to get into uni takes a you know a, not a great job the global recession hits it's gone on for 10 years uh you can kind of understand in that point how they they would be feeling angry that doesn't that's not justifying some of the uh, actions taken but they they also get preyed upon you know that 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 sort of uh, disenfranchised person is very vulnerable to new new ideas also bad ideas just before we move on there it's 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 important to remember that this is not a kind of like a education thing or a a class thing it is indeed every every single person uh, gets wrapped up in this and like it's 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 not like a like an error of judgment and like i certainly think that given like i could be born with the exact same kind of faculties i have right now and certainly fall into a lot of the same traps that these people have just out of the like i i i i i, I feel quite fortunate because i feel like I've, I've met the right people and i've been given the right kind of context and i had all those benefits to like really put the research in, in into things like this but obviously like like not everyone can so or, or not everyone wants to even so 
if our listeners wanted to, to learn more about this or, or to read more around the subject, are there places, are there people that that they that you feel they would it would be good to go to to, to yeah. seek more information? So, like certainly, um, as a lot of this is kind of contemporary media, there's uh, na- naturally a lot of contemporary media about this subject, and indeed, uh, um, as as you were saying earlier, like uh, phrases like the PewDiePie pipeline and the the pipeline of extremism, the alt right pipeline, so things like that, were like have a lot of kind of a documentation around how this problem manifested and indeed how we've ended up in a in, in kind of a situation where uh, people with fringe politics and views but not necessarily violent can be persuaded into that through the use of of like algorithmic content suggestion and other things and there's also the um the data society have uh, have done a fantastic uh, paper called uh, Alternative Influences, which uh, zeroes in on that group of people we were talking about earlier, um, the um, who have employed kind of like brand influencer techniques to sell part of uh, like what I'd call an ideology, right? So it's um uh, it's called Alternative Influence, and it's available on the datasociety.net, and I uh, and it's 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 probably one of the uh, the the only reports I've read four or five times is because it is like it it, it it is incredible the like the amount of work that's gone into it and I'd feel um, it's you like you're missing out if you don't read it truly. Is there anywhere that we can direct people to find you? So I'm d4n underscore tweets on Twitter, and I suppose you can also find me on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot for your time. It's been great having you on. Thank you very much, guys, for having me on. Cheers. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at tech underscore point underscore zero. We hope you join us again for the next episode.